Welcome back to Historical Context. Today, we continue our colonization of New England unit, and we also return to Plymouth today after a one-week break talking about the colonization of New Hampshire. Today's episode starts in the year 1624, where William Bradford is re-elected governor of the Plymouth colony again. And in his writings, Bradford indicates the colony had grown and therefore the government needed to grow. Bradford in this year adds four assistants to the government of the colony, now totaling five. Almost immediately in his writings, Bradford hints at the colony's newest problem. Let's have a look. Some of those who still remained here on private venture began secretly to plot. In league with a strong faction of the adventurers in England, on whom several of them depended. By their whisperings, they drew some of the weaker members of the colony itself to their side and made them so discontented that at last nothing would satisfy them but that they might be allowed to be on their own resources also and even made large offers to be freed from the community. So we have some people who are discontented and they don't want to stay at Plymouth. Two people center around the discontent and they are John Oldham, a captain and a merchant, and John Lyford, a minister. Lyford seems to have been more sympathetic to the Church of England in his sermons and he starts to garner more support from the pilgrims, which we kind of indicated when uh, uh, Bradford said that in his quote, uh, Lyford arrives in 1624 with Edward Winslow, who upon his return from England had obtained a patent to start a colony at Cape Ann, which was further to the north. No writings of Oldham and Lyford could be found, but Thomas Hutchinson, an 18th century historian, wrote that these two men, quote, stirred up a faction and were banished. But Bradford is saying they wanted to leave and were working on a mutual separation. Let's keep reading. The governor consulted with the blessed members of the colony, and it was decided to permit them to separate on the same terms as the other private settlers with the additional stipulation that they should be bound to remain here till the general partnership was concluded, and that they should pay into the common store one half of all the goods and commodities they might accumulate beyond their food, in consideration of expenses already incurred for them and some other similar details. So basically Bradford's saying they need to recompensate the colony for being brought over will allow them to stay for a period of time and then we can mutually separate. This sounds far from a banishment. Bradford goes on to say that this agreement stops the defection but rumors from other settlers 
And Mr. Weston, remember him, would continue to perpetuate problems. Bradford goes on to mention in Winslow's return that he brought back three heifers and a bull, the first cattle in the Plymouth colony, among other supplies. Winslow informs Bradford that the adventurers strongly oppose bringing any more Puritans over from the Netherlands. And we could probably see why, because the adventurers are the ones that are kind of starting this rift here within the colony. And the last thing they want is more people that they clearly have an ideological problem with coming over and occupying uh, the colony. Bradford notes that a letter of charges against the colony were sent to Pastor John Robinson, who was still living in the Netherlands, who then sent a response back to England and copied Bradford. One of the objections was that many steal from one another, and Robinson replied, and I quote, If London had been freed from that crime, we should not have been troubled with it. And so what Robinson is referring to there, and this is something for those of you new to the podcast, it goes back several episodes. And it's important here to watch the entire colonization of New England unit in order to get an understanding. Basically, Robinson has handed this allegation that people are stealing from one another in Plymouth. And he replies, well, if London had been freed from that crime, we would still be there. You got to remember the pilgrims left, or I should say the Puritan separatists left London in 1607 and went to the Netherlands and we're now 17 years later. So Robinson uh, wisely uh, cracks right back at the critics in London who are opposed to the Plymouth colony. Another objection was that the people were bothered by mosquitoes. Robinson replied, those who cannot endure the biting of a mosquito, quote, we would wish such to keep at home. Uh, this John Robinson seems like an interesting guy. Robinson went on to reflect on the killing of natives, stating he would have been pleased if some of them were converted to Christianity prior to their deaths. He also seems to question whether this will stop or further spread the violence. Robinson concluded with something we already knew, that the adventurers were refusing to bring any more Puritans over. So we still have English separatists or Puritans sitting in the Netherlands after 17 years waiting to come over to Plymouth. Bradford goes on to mention a salt maker who was, quote, ignorant, foolish, and self-willed. This salt maker attempted to create a good place to produce salt. He failed and ultimately left for the Cape Ann colony when it was to get started. This man's name was Roger Conant, and he ended up being the first man to attempt to settle an area that would later be called Boston. Bradford went on to mention that John Oldham was a, quote, intelligencer to England, basically a spy. 
Bradford says that both men, Oldham and Lyford, showed themselves willing to immerse in Puritan culture, but it did not last long. Let's have a look at the writing. For both Oldham and Lyford grew perverse and showed a spirit of great malignancy, drawing as much into faction as they could. No matter how vile or profane, they backed the delinquents in all they did, so long as they would, but uphold them and speak against the church here. So clearly, Bradford's having an issue with some people. Lyford and Oldham are defending these individuals. He goes on to mention that it was discovered that both Lyford and Oldham were sending letters back to England, and uh, doing so as an intelligencer. Bradford and a few other men actually go and board a ship that is in the bay, intercepting it to retrieve letters from Lyford and Oldham that were on board. They let the letters go to England, but they make copies. And by the way, for those of you watching, obviously they didn't have a Xerox machine on board a ship in 1624. The way they made copies, they hand wrote out what was in the letters. Bradford goes on to mention the deterioration of their behavior. Let's have a look. So thinking they were now strong enough, they began to pick quarrels at everything. Oldham being told off to stand watch according to order, refusing to come, calling the captain a beggarly rascal, resisting him, and drawing a knife on him, though he had done him no wrong. He goes on to say, the governor, hearing the tumult, sent to quiet it, but Oldham ramped more like a furious beast than a man and called them all traitors and rebels and other such foul language as I am ashamed to remember. But after he had been clapped up a while, he came to himself and with some slight punishment was let go upon his behavior pending further censure. So it sounds like Oldham was a little bit of a hothead. Uh, Bradford goes on to mention Lyford's actions. Let's have a look. Lyford and his accomplices held a separate public meeting on the Lord's Day, and with many such insolent doings, began to act publicly what they had been plotting privately. So the governor called a court and summoned the whole company to appear, and charged Lyford and Oldham with their guilt. So they had mutually agreed to part ways didn't look like a banishment, and then Oldham and Lyford began to drum up resistance. Oldham through this public uh, appearance of rage, and Lyford through these alternative sermons, if you will. And so a full meeting of, of the court is, is called. They're charged with plotting against the colony and disturbing the peace. At trial, Lyford denies ties to England, but then reproductions of his letters were read, and he was, to quote Bradford, struck dumb. Oldham had a different reaction. Let's have a look. Oldham began to rage furiously, 
threatening them in very high language, he stood up and called upon the people, saying, My masters, where are your hearts? Now, show your courage. You have often complained to me so and so. Now is the time. But he was disappointed. Not a man opened his mouth. So Oldham was trying to get other people riled up against the Puritans and nobody said anything. Of course, as we've seen, it sounds like he had quite a temper, so people were not prone to react as emotionally as he did. And uh, Bradford goes on to accuse Lyford of opening Edward Winslow's mail, copying his letters, and forwarding those copies to England. Bradford goes on to produce excerpts of the letters in his writings. So uh, if you read of Plymouth Plantation, you can see excerpts of those uh, letters. Lyford alleged that you had to be a member of their church to live in Plymouth. So this is, this is part of Lyford's writings back to England criticizing the, Ply the Plymouth Pilgrims. He's alleging that you have to be a member of the church to live in the colony. Bradford answered that any honest man could live with them as long as they believed peaceably and seeked the common good or at least do them no harm. Lyford also wrote back to England and advised that they not bring over the Netherland Puritans and instead to ship over private settlers as to outnumber the votes of the Puritans. Also, he wanted them to send another captain over to replace Miles Standish and to plan on settling elsewhere if they could not take control. Now, Lyford, in his defense, said he got his information from a man named Billington, whom denied he had any dealings with Lyford. Uh, Lyford ends up being convicted. He bursts into tears and then confesses. So what's their penalty? Let's have a look. The court censured them to be expelled from the place. Oldham at once, though his wife and family, had leave to stay all winter. Lyford had leave to stay six months, with some eye to remission of the sentence if he behaved himself well in the meantime. Lyford acknowledged his censure was far less than he deserved. While the colony asked Oldham to leave immediately, everyone else was offered some time. So John Oldham becomes the first person banished from the Plymouth colony. After this, uh, this hearing and this punishment, Lyford confesses publicly, and he was reinstated to preach publicly. But, let's have a look at the writing. After a month or two notwithstanding all his former convictions, confessions, and public acknowledgments, he should try again to justify what he had done. For he secretly wrote a second letter to the adventurers in England in which he justified all his former writings. So, Lyford is back to his old tricks again, is basically what Bradford is saying. Now, Oldham had, had left, but then in early 1625, he comes back again 
let's have a look. Oldham came back again, though his sentence forbade his return, at the same time to give rein to his unruly passion beyond all reason and decency, so that some strangers who came with him were ashamed of his outrage. So they locked him up till he was tamer. So it sounds like Oldham was so temperous that his own people, when he came back, locked him up. Uh, interesting observation there. Bradford mentions that Oldham, when released, went to Virginia and later returned to the Bay to live out his days. Oldham will become part of another controversy, of course he will, uh, that we'll, we're going to talk about later on in the podcast. As for Lyford, when the second letter came out, remember that second letter he wrote, his wife confessed that he had been engaged in infidelity. It was also revealed that Lyford was forced to leave Ireland over similar immoral conduct. So the world around John Lyford is crashing. Lyford ends up leaving and becoming a part of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Many merchant adventurers end up deserting the colony, according to Bradford, and some of them end up at Cape Ann. Some merchant adventurers remained, and some in England actually wrote letters of support to Plymouth. One such letter mentioned that the partnership was now dissolved due to the faction and cumulative losses at sea. So that is uh, apparently a signal that the investors in England are beginning to grow weary. The supportive merchant adventurers did want to keep the company's stock intact, and they even sent over supplies to help the colony. The Lyford and Oldham affairs literally dominated 1624 and 1625 Plymouth history and may be the leading indicator as to why the Plymouth colony did not grow like the others that settled after them in New England. If you think about it, Plymouth stayed this small colony and the rest of Massachusetts blew up, but we'll dig into that in a little more detail later. In 1626, Roger Conant would settle a colony at Namkeeg, which would later be called Salem. Also, word would come to Plymouth that both John Robinson and Robert Cushman, from a previous episode, had died. Robinson, uh, boy, I was just getting ready to enjoy his quips, uh, is now gone. The Plymouth colonists would buy back all shares of the company from the London merchants before the end of the year, so that transaction would take place. Next time, we're going to talk about a new colony in Massachusetts that will have a permanent presence in the region. And that's next time on Historical Context.